This is The Secret Library, a podcast about creating books. I'm Caroline Donahue, and as a coach for people who dream of writing, I made this show for all of you with a book simmering there on your mind's back burner. Through these conversations with authors, publishers, small presses, agents, designers, and everyone connected to the making of books, you'll learn where the books come from and how to write yours. There's a place on the secret library shelf waiting for your story. It's time to stop waiting and start writing. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you by Muse Monthly, the subscription service for book and tea lovers. Get 10% off your subscription by using the code SECRET00, all one word and all caps, at musemonthly.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Story Arcana, Tarot for Writers. Use the Tarot to break through writer's block. You can get 10% off the course by using the code SECRETLIBRARY, all one word, at storyarcana.com. We are back with another episode of The Secret Library, and this is a very exciting day because we have our very first repeat guest. (laughs) So I am so, so excited to have Sarah Selecki back on. Um, she was back in episode 12, I believe you were episode 12, like back in the lucky early 12. days, yeah, lucky 12 and, uh, Sarah. So I encourage everyone to listen to that episode, but for those of you who are showing up now, Sarah is the author of this cake is for the party. And she's the creator of the story is a state of mind school. She's a dual citizen of Canada and the United States. She grew up in Southern Indiana and Northern Ontario. Her first book, This Cake is for the Party, was a finalist for the Scotiabank Giller Prize, shortlisted for the Commonwealth Prize for Best First Book, and longlisted for the Frank O'Connor Short Story Prize. Her writing has appeared in the top Canadian magazines and quarterlies, such as The Walrus, The New Quarterly, and Elle Canada, among any others. She's been showing people how to write mindfully since 2001, when she ran her first creative writing workshop out of her living room in Victoria, B.C., In 2011, she started Story as a State of Mind School as a compassionate alternative to MFA programs. Yay, Sarah. Hey, Caroline. Thanks for having me back. Well, as I've told many people since, I was so excited by our first conversation that I felt a little high afterwards. So I was like, (laughs) woo, I get to talk to Sarah today. Let's get the mojo. (laughs) Let's get the mojo. So the first time we had you on, we talked about where the writing comes from. And I was really excited to talk to you again because I think it's time for us to dip our toe into the idea of revision, which we haven't really talked about yet on the show at all. Ah, all right. (laughs) It's pretty mysterious. It's so mysterious. Well, when we last spoke, you had talked about being kind to your writing and that you had written your whole novel, not looking back, which is amazing to me. So, so where are you now? I feel like we're in a, a, an installment mystery series. I'm I'm trying to remember where, what month it was that we spoke and where I was in the draft. I think it was August. Well, okay. So I finished the draft. I finished the first draft without having looked back on it and then printed it all out to read and took a good amount of time. I actually went away somewhere so that I could do that alone. I went to the BAMP Center in Alberta and took a week and read the whole thing from start to finish, just curious, just with curiosity to see where the threads were and was surprised by, was very surprised. Um, there were image systems that had come up that were, that I did not that I didn't consciously put there that I got to pick out as a reader. There was a lot of like, you know, I'd been writing it piece by piece, a thousand words at a time or more, um, putting, trying to put myself in that state of mind where I could receive the images and not judge them too much and not craft them too much and not know too much about it while still following an outline. So it wasn't just a stream of consciousness kind of mess. You know, I, I like a little bit of structure (laughs) Um, in what I read. So I read it all and sat with it and took some notes, like light notes on the page that I had, that had printed out, just like mostly just things like, you know, this, I'm a little curious about this character or gaps, places where I felt there were some, there was room for me to say a bit more. 
there was a lot, <laughs> there was a lot of space for me to say a bit more. So I, I just took some light notes saying, you know, I'm, in, I'm interested as a reader, I'm interested in this char- character or, um, how I'm actually missing how they got from here to, from point A to point B here. Like that transition feels like a gap. It doesn't feel like something I need a little bit more, um, lily pad to lily pad there. So I gave myself some like light notes. I also saw where, uh, where this couldn't be like this character, it had her name changed halfway through the book and I didn't realize that I'd done that. So I, I need to like uh. fix that up. I think things that like, like you really are, it is close. Like the imagination really is close to a dream state. So, you know, when you're describing a dream, how ridiculous it is because there's, because there's no structure when you're like, it was a cow and then it turned into a meadow. And then, you know, then I was at the meadow and it became, um, you know, a bowling alley, but the bowling alley had the same feeling as the meadow. And then the cow showed up again. Like there were elements of that in the first draft that, had I, and I know, and reading back, it was such a, I so recommend writing forward without looking back because I know had I stopped myself and looked back and found those errors, they're relatively small errors. They're just errors. They're just like, you know, I got the name wrong or it was a bowling alley instead of a meadow. You got to keep it consistent. At the time of writing, when when I'm so when my like when my critical eye is so jazzed and I just want it to be good, 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 that would that would have stalled me for quite some time trying to get that right. But reading over the draft as a whole, like having the two hundred whatever pages, I don't know how many there were, two hundred somewhere between two hundred and three hundred pages in front of me, I could see that it's it's a relatively small, correctable, manageable error because to continue with my metaphor, the bowling alley and the meadow feel the same. So the feeling is the same. So what I call it and how I describe it is, is a, is such a, it's such a technical fix compared to coming up with something that feels that way. That's the hard part. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of, it's the difference between, it sounds like seeing, let me see if I can say this in a way that makes sense. If you have a large draft, which is the whole book, then one little detail like that is such a small percentage of the whole thing. But if you're at an early stage and then you you look at something like that, it feels much larger because you don't have the whole thing. Right. It feels way more significant. Like I, I think I would have thought that naming that person or getting the meadow just right would have been a very significant problem if I was editing as I went it would have been way more significant than it actually has to be. So just giving myself permission to write through it and change it from a meadow to a bowling alley and then see like, oh, that's a contradiction, that's inconsistent, got me to the place at the end of the book where I had, I just got to get to the end. I, I gave myself permission to get it imperfect, to have it imperfectly, have the imperfect image, but the correct feeling that is the source that wanted to come out got to come out and I got to see it as a meadow and then I got to see it as a bowling alley. But the, but what I was connected to was whatever that source was behind that image. And now that I have figured out like somewhat of a narrative arc and I have, I have all the characters. I mean, they're composites, they're incorrect in places, but now I get to play with the raw materials, but I have the raw materials, which is way more significant. Like it's not really about the meadow. The story is not about that image. The image is just a, a thing that you use in order to create an experience for somebody else. It's not the thing itself. It's not what it's all about. So holding that kind of loosely was wonderful for me. So yeah, so I printed it all out. I read it. I made some notes. I got to see what a little bit more of what the story actually wanted to tell me. Um, I got to be surprised by it. And then I got to see, knowing what I know now about it, that it, now that it's finished, I got to do I got to do all the left like all the left brain stuff. So like making sure that that dream makes sense, like making sure that all those dreamy places actually are less dreamy and more concrete so that so that a reader can find her ground within the story. So I got a calendar out. Like I realized in writing the first draft that I missed this whole part this whole part of the book I just kind of skipped over and missed. So I have, I, you know, a month that a month of time that was unaccounted for. I just sort of forgot <laughs> that I didn't write that month. So I printed out a calendar of, of the future year um, that it's being written in and staked out all the milestones on that, on those calendar pages and just got all the details, like the verisimilitude, the like, 
the details of what events are happening when. And, and um, that was kind of fun. It was like research. It was like research into an imaginary world that needed to happen so that I have those, I have them to reference. So those calendar pages are, and what the character names, that's a whole other piece, the character names that we can talk about. But I got all that left brain, like all that logical stuff out on paper. And now I have those up and around me. So as I revise, I can consult the the calendar. Like I can consult the, I can consult the, the more concrete issues of time and space that need to be consistent because I'm not writing fantasy. Like even in fantasy, I think actually those things need to be consistent. Um, I'm not writing stream of consciousness dream journal here. I'm writing something that needs to be consistent. So I got all of that out and then started rewriting the book from scratch again in the same kind of the same way that I did it the first time. I think something that you're saying inside of all of this, which is so helpful, um, I love the calendar. I, yeah. I'm a Virgo, you know, yes. I love the calendar. Yes. But um, <laughs> is that there's almost this relationship, at least that I've had, and I, I, I don't think I'm alone, that people feel like the quote critic or the editor or, you know, the inner critic is different than the editor. I think they're separate because mm. when writing, the the future of having to revise feels like this monster under the bed who's gonna come up and shred the book and or the story or whatever it is you're writing and be like, it's terrible. Nice. And the process you're describing sounds so fun. <laughs> and, and I think there's all this fear at least for me, I mean, having done NaNoWriMo five times and never gone through the revision process. Wow. I know. That is a major confession. Um, That's a major accomplishment. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Okay. But it's just like, oh, these are terrible. I'm going to start over. And mm. because there's this fear that I have, I think, and I'm sure I'm not alone, about revising, that revising is going to reveal that that the book is no good. Yes. Whereas... Yeah. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm like, oh, yeah, those are all very manageable things. And I know how to use a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're so right. I The reason I, I wrote the way I did the first draft was to outwit that I had the same – I have the same fear. I definitely have that fear that it's like – it's monstrous. But if you think – if you take away the fear and just think about it a little bit more kindly with even a little bit more logically, editing can be a fun, gentle, kind process too that's like – that you get to do. It can be another thing that you that you get to do as long as you're in harmony with the forces that be, whatever they are. Like if you if you feel like there's some harmony there, then you get to work together. It's it's not a battlefield and it certainly doesn't have to be. For, there are problems, there are obstacles, there are places in the revision where I still get stuck, but that doesn't mean that everything's crappy. <laughs> it doesn't mean that everything's I'm 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 I know that you said that we could swear on the podcast, oh. but I like, <laughs> it doesn't mean like, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean that everything's, um, for not it's, it, it just means that there's another opportunity to problem solve and you have the tools to do it. And if you don't have those particular tools, here's an opportunity to get to learn them. Like here's, it's so fixable. The, the magic of the first draft is like, yes, it's very mysterious. It's laced in uncertainty. You know what? The revision process is laced with uncertainty as well. But the hardest part is going in with curiosity and being open, like asking questions and being open to not know the answer before you go in. I think that's how the best stuff gets written at any stage. And all the rest of it is technique. And that's learnable and doable. I love it and fun. So you have gone through, you've read the whole thing, you went away, you got curious, you got a calendar, and now you're rewriting the whole thing from scratch. So talk to me about like, do you set the whole draft aside? Are you just writing it with this with remembering what happened before? Or how does that process happen? Technically? No, yeah, in short fiction writing, I have done that where I try to write the whole thing from memory and, um, and see what I come up with in a new draft and see where because it's it's interesting. And it's, you know, 20 pages, thereabouts, and it's, and it's a doable experiment that that, you know, very light teeth gnashing involved, but with a novel, <laughs> with a novel, I couldn't, I, I think that it, 
yeah, I needed, I needed a through line. I needed the thread. I need the ground. It's so different. This process is, is just so di- They're completely different animals to me in some ways. And they're not in other ways, <laughs> short fiction and the novel, but I have that printed out copy beside me. And I opened up, I'm actually using Scrivener for this draft um, because I really like having the bird's eye view of all of the scenes. And I really like having your listeners know Scrivener, you know, Scrivener. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) So so it's really helpful. Um, I didn't write the book on Scrivener. I wrote the book by hand in notebooks and then in a Word document, just built it with page notes, just built the draft. I have no chapters. I just like wrote a thousand words, 1500 words, 600 words at a time and wrote forward, printed that out. And now as I'm starting the the rewriting process, I'm using Scrivener. So scene by scene, I can see, I can see them all kind of pinned. I can see the whole picture at once, which is more helpful for me than spreading it out on the page, although on, on the floor, although there is still some spreading out of pages on the floor of that original draft that I printed out. So I have that beside me. And I sort of consult it. I don't copy it, but I consult it as I rewrite scene by scene. So I have it there as an anchor. Sometimes, sometimes I'll look back and forth and like type it directly. Sometimes I'll get caught up in, in the scene in a different way and I'll leave the original behind and then just go back and consult and say, okay, was there anything in that original scene that really needs, is there any information or data that really needs to be in this scene? And then I'll copy that in. So it's more, it's a little bit crafty. It's a little bit like, I feel like I'm building scene by scene using the raw materials and using the, the calendars and the name. I mean, I have my character names because I know that I can't be trusted (laughs) when I'm writing, when I'm writing something a thousand words at a time which is still my same, that's still my same anchor for this draft, by the way, for the next draft. I'm still just doing it in manageable, like 600 to 1500 words. I feel good in a day, but I know that I can't be trusted to keep all the character names and place names and all that logical stuff. When I go into the right side of my brain, I can't, like I, I, I necessarily lose my grip on reality, even (laughs) reality being in quotation marks because it's an imagined, it's an, (laughs) it's an imagined reality but I lose my grip on the things that are logical about that imagined reality when I explore the scene from that creative place. So knowing that I can't trust myself to keep that all in my head, um, I don't try. I have plastered stuff all over. I have my character names. I have their job positions. I have their mannerisms to remind me. There's a lot to keep. Like every character has to sound different. Every character has to have her own mannerisms. They've got like, they come from all their different places. They've got like, uh, their outfits, the thing, the, the signifiers, all those, all that stuff is really fun, but I have all the reminders of it sort of all around me. So at a glance, I can look up in my office and at my desk and remind myself, okay, we're, we're in April and, oh, it's a weekend now. So what would they be doing on the weekend? That's different. And this character, right. What would I say? Like, I forget what their position, they're working together in an office situation. So I forget sort of sometimes what everybody's position is in the office. And then I have to remind myself like little they're not little details. Those are the very things that give a reader and me purchase into character and into story. Um, but keeping it all in my head is too much. So I've externalized it. I have notes and pictures and their names and everything. So I keep the draft beside me and I consult all of that. I consult everything as I rebuild each scene, scene by scene into Scrivener. Nice. Yeah. So I'm curious because I've had the name drift before as well, and it's amazing how you don't notice. And so I'm curious if this is a shift from something like Anne to Anna, or if it's like Anne to Marjorie. Um, okay. You don't have to reveal, reveal the actual name. I'm just wondering how far, how far a range we're drifting. Because I have the exact same issue. So I, I hope that this doesn't just sound crazy and that you and the people who are listening know what I'm talking about a little bit here about the magic that happens when you're, um, when you're deep into a creative process. I wanted to change my characters' names um, because they really felt like they weren't different enough, like from just a technical place. Uh. Like I had, they weren't different enough. They didn't, you know... Um, I had a character named Nana, N-A-N-A, and then I also had a character named Nina. 
And Nina and Nana, there's no reason why they have to be similar. There's no craft-based reason why that that has to rhyme and, and be so similar. I, I guess I just had a thing about, I don't know, who knows? So I wanted to change Nina's name. So I went down a rabbit hole of what, like, what feels right. And it's like naming, I mean, naming characters, so fun. It's like naming things is just such a powerful, fun place to be. So having, doing the research about, um, that character's name, she has family from, um, Copenhagen. She's from this sort of, she has it. She want, I wanted her to have a Danish name. So I played with that and came up with a new name for her, which is Flurja, which I'm quite happy with. And it just fits and just fits and it stands out. I want something that when a reader looks at it or when I look at it, it's like, it's different enough that I don't have to think about who everybody is. I just like that. I'm kind of, it's, I like the words to have, I like names to have, um, sort of a shape and a sound to them that makes them almost sculptural. And so that when you see it, you recognize it by, by look as well. There was another character who, who had a, there was a sound, her name, her name in the first draft was Trish. And it's the sh that I liked about it. I don't know why, mm. no idea, but it was the Trish that I had about it. And it didn't work for a few reasons. It just, I, I wanted to amp it up. I wanted to turn the volume up. I wanted to make her name a little bit more sculptural, like a little bit more of what she looks and feels like, because that's what we have, right? When we're writing, we just have words. Um, so I wanted her name to evoke something else. And I was like playing with names that were like, had that shush sound that also told us, told me about her and who she was. And this is sort of part of a bigger story, which is also, we can bookmark this and talk about this. I don't know this is a good long thinker for me, which is that when I look back and read that first draft, all of my characters were white women and mm. they all just read as right as white women. And that is not, and I like saw it when I read the draft, I saw this is not accurate. This is really inaccurate. The community that I'm describing is not like, does not, is not like this. So I need to be a little bit more conscious, uh, a lot more conscious and enter that and enter that territory as a white woman myself writing different people. <laughs> and um, Trish was one of those people. Trish, the character of Trish, what she's African-American. She's um, black. She's from the States. And the name Trish just it didn't work anymore. So I came up with a name after much thought and research that felt good to me, which was Latasha. And it still had that same, it still had the same feeling as Trish. And then and I was writing and I was writing this draft like for months and then moved. I was doing some moving, moving some of my portfolio and old notebooks around. I got some new shelves in my office and I was re-shelving notebooks that I'd written years ago, <laughs> like years ago. And this is the part where it's like, I haven't really talked about this with anybody and I hope your readers understand when this happens. So I'm flipping through, I'm just like flipping through my notebooks just to see what I was working on in 2005. What was I working on in 2007? And there is a whole story written about this woman who is this character from another time oh, and another wow. place that I had already written. And her name was Yotesha. What? It's like That's there crazy. in my own handwriting from 2005. Seven. No, 2006. I'd already written about her. I already had her. So, and so I, this, awesome. So this stuff happens. Like, I think, I think it happens. It happens to me. Does it happen to you? I don't know. I've actually, no, it does happen because I actually wrote a scene, I think, in your, in Story as a State of Mind. Mm -hmm. And I, it was, it was just a scene. It was just sort of a disembodied scene about a girl and she's in the bath and she's talking about why she drinks and she has this interesting relationship with her mother her mother doesn't really understand her it's a whole thing and then and she's she, it's kind of a glam like her mother's very glamorous and she's not and and so and I'm working on this novel now about a girl um who is going into a a, a situation that her mother doesn't approve of and the other day I was like oh, that scene was about her <laughs> I mean, what? How does that happen? I don't know. It happens, though. It happens. And the only way that actually logically explains it to me is that we're not living in a linear. Like, it actually, Einstein was right. Like, yep. then, it, then it kind of calms me down. I'm like, what? This is weird, Matt. What is this? And then I'm like, oh, no. It's just, 
it's just, yeah, if it doesn't, if you just take out the idea that time works chronologically and, and separate from us, then it actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> or I think of it as like a spiral. It's like, there's this, mm -hmm. there's this idea that's sort of taken root and it doesn't, it's not clear yet. It's like, you're on the outside of it a little bit and it's like, Oh, here's a little hint. And then coming back and coming back, it's like you get closer and closer to the center of it yes. every time. It like is. she was Yotasha out on the outside of the spiral. But now you know you're, you're, you're closer to the center and you know like, oh no, she's not Trish, she's Latasha. And yeah. then she circles back. Yes, it's a spiral. Yes, it feels like a spiral. It does. It's, what it, it's just what it feels like. Yeah. So like being, oh, and like what would make me flip open to that book though at that time? Like what part of me, was there some, I mean, this is, who knows? This is the this is the mystery of it. It's very mysterious, and I love uh, not knowing. When it's like that, I love not knowing because it's just, just a fun surprise. And there's a there's also sort of this feeling of like, okay, it's also a really great affirming reminder that I don't have to know everything about this draft. I don't have to know everything about these this story. Like I'm in collaboration with something else, and something's got my back. Maybe it's just my subconscious, <laughs> um, but something's got my back. I'm in this with something. So like I can collaborate on this revision and, and be cute. And I'm, it's safe. It's safe to be curious and still to trust what is random and what comes up the same sort of tenets that got me through the first draft. They are the same in revision. It's still, you're, it's still okay to not know, you know what you know. So like, no, I'm knowing my calendar and I know what I, you know, I know the thing, the, the milestones and the little things that I set up, know what you know, but then make a lot of space for what you don't know, because the story's still spiraling. The spiral's still spiraling out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I, this feels somewhat revolutionary to me. And I, and yet at the same time, it's, there's sort of an awe. This makes perfect sense because of course, you know, if, if the story is written in a certain way, or the draft is written in a certain way, it makes sense that the logic of that would continue. You're just doing something that you're just doing a different activity in a way of revision. Yeah. But it's the same. It's the same. It's like, um, like a plant, like it's the same. You're doing the same. The plant is growing at every stage of its growth. Like whether it's coming out as a seed, whether it's growing into its like flower, then whether it's like as it blooms, as it creates fruit, all of it is it just being a plant. It's just doing its thing as a plant. And it looks so different season in every in every stage of every season. But the work that it's doing, that that cellular growth is just like the cells just growing. It's the same work. This is so liberating. Because there's this always this feeling, at least again, I'm everyone may be listening, be like, what are you talking about? I don't feel that way at all. But there's this feeling of like, oh, the writing is so juicy. And then you get to revision and the party mm -hmm. is over. But so the party's not, not over. No. Oh, I hope not. Like then, oh, no. No, because how would you get through it? Would You would have to like grit your teeth and just go through it. Right. <gasps> right. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I think you've removed my major fear. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> major breakthrough here on the show. Um, and so, so you are teaching revision as well. Um, yes, I am. We're doing, um, a workshop in, in the spring of next year. Um, and you know, I, I created this course because the story, story course and the story intensive are all about getting that for like getting past your blocks and, um, seeing that there are no, there is no block actually. It's just you not writing <laughs> and the way you think writing should feel and the way writing actually feels like, let's look at that, um, so that you can write. And the only thing that you need to do is just keep writing. So then when happy alumni are, um, call me when, when, when the graduates are calling and saying like, okay, this is awesome. Like what, what next, how do I know when it's finished? Those questions, like where do, how do I get from, how do I bridge the gap between writing a first draft and finishing something and feeling good about it and sharing it even and polishing it, revise, like what is revision and how, and sharing it, submitting it and getting other people's opinion and feedback. And what do you do with that? Um, well, we need, I, I wanted to take, I just wanted to go the next place with it. So the story, so workshopping is sort of the next, the next step in the magic, which 
is not about getting making the thing perfect. It's really about just like letting oxygen into that environment where you and the thing you're collaborating with has created something. Writing needs to be shared. It's like music, like it needs to, or all art, I think, like it needs like that the, the circle kind of comes together and closes. It's, its existence needs to have, needs to be received and shared in order for it to really culminate. So workshop is a good workshop, <laughs> like a good workshop. And there are, there are experience. We've all, we've all experienced workshops that we go into like vulnerable and, <laughs> um, experience how the, the harm that can come from them too, I think. But a good workshop is a safe place where you can experiment with showing something that's never seen air before, what it would feel like to be a completed red project, and then learn how to give and receive feedback that helps you reconnect with your writing on another level, like on, a, on another deeper level Well, that trust, just building that trust still. It's the same trust, but like, you have something, you've written something, it's it is of you, but it is separate from you and other people are going to read it and they're going to have different opinions on it. And like that whole world, it changes, um, it changes you, it changes, it can change you. It can change what you're writing when you share it. I mean, even if you just, even just reading a passage of your work out loud tells you so much more about you and your work, even without hearing any feedback from anybody else, <laughs> you know? So yes, so we're, te so we're teaching my, uh, my teachers and I are coming together and running, it's a smaller set, small group, six people in each group. And I'm really excited about how, um, we've adapted the workshop experience to make it even more about teaching people how to be in a healthy relationship with their own work and learn how to be a writer and live a writing life and, not just giving way to becoming critics <laughs> because often, but I mean, I keep coming back to like, this is a good workshop because um, in so many workshops that I've been in and, and that, you know, we've all kind of been in because of that, what you just described, Caroline of like, okay, I'm, I'm just like, I'm swimming in it the first draft and this is like, this is creation. And then we have to like crank down and get into revision. And that's where, that's where the joy has to leave. And we get, we get serious because of that sort of story that we all have about writing and, and revision, it seems to be that when you open the doors to a workshop or critique, that it just lets loose that like you, you can just be, okay, now I can be a critic again. And your critic just like, you know, I'm going to be really good in this workshop by, by pointing out everything that's wrong. And while it's such a fine line, um, because I do think I actually believe that in learning how to articulate what is working and what is not working about someone else's work, you teach yourself how to write. It's not, you're not helping the other person so much with that feedback. You're rewiring, you're teaching yourself what you like about writing and what you don't like about writing and how to make, and how to make your sentences do what you want sentences to do. And it, it it's interesting for the person who's receiving your critique. Uh, <laughs> But really what you're doing is just reinforcing something for yourself. You're, it's, it's all these reflections, right? So in a workshop where, you, where, that's not, where there's no awareness about that, things can get pretty warped because people think that the advice that they're receiving from these six or seven or more people is actually about them. And they don't, there's, no, there's no space to talk about how it might be actually about the people giving critique. And where, you know, having a conversation about, about that, about that space, about that gray area between like, yes, I see this about your work and I need to tell you this about my, how I've received that story. And then having a conversation also about how in pointing that out to you, I'm telling myself something about how I like to read and what I want to write, mm. uh, which is so much more interesting and, so, and like so much more learning can happen. And it's really important because I think what's happening in, in workshop culture um, is like stories, you get all these opinions, you get a stack of opinions, like really thoughtfully even written critiques of your work. And then you go home with this stack of opinions and think you have to do something with them to make your story what it wants to be. But it's all coming from all these other people with no awareness that there may be overlap, there may not be, like with no awareness that it has something to do about with them as well.
And then the temptation is to write this Frankenstein story that makes everybody happy. I've totally done that. <laughs> I've done that too, of course, because we want we want to make everybody happy. That's what we're writing. We want our readers to like what we're writing. But then it just becomes this disembodied, weird creature that isn't really what you ever, like it's not what it wants to be. It's what everybody else's story. And they're all writers. They all get to write their own. They all get to write what they want to read. Everybody gets to write what they want to read. So it can be really overwhelming when you come back from a critique and you have all these opinions and you just like, what do I do with them? How do I, how do I make sense of all of this? And then the other danger of a workshop without that awareness is that in all of that workshopping that you do, I mean, generally the format is, and the format in our workshop is the same. The format is you have, you know, a set number of weeks and a set number of writers. And every week you critique one story by each writer and the rest of the weeks you're involved in the discussion and the critique with everybody else in the class about their work. And the benefit of that is that you learn so much from giving critique. You learn way more from giving a critique than you do from receiving one. Way, way, way more. So the benefit of being in a workshop, of course, is that you get all that practice to look at what you are teaching yourself about what you like about writing, what you don't like about writing, what works for you, what doesn't, how you make it, like articulating the technique of how people could change things, what, how, how the point of view, if you changed it to first person, how that would change the intimacy level and how that would affect the story. Like, th- like being able to articulate all that is teaching you so much. But it's also teaching you how to be a critic. And all of that critique that you've just given other people, if there's no awareness about how to keep it kind and how to keep it spacious so that like, if there's no awareness that like you are not the person writing that person's story, you are writing your own story and that person gets to do whatever they want with their writing because that's, they're, they're, they're the author. Without that awareness, you just end up turning all that, all that critique on yourself next time you write. Like you just train yourself to be a critic. And then that makes your inner critic so much more powerful because you've given it all that power and you've trained it so well without putting a little piece, a little gap in there of um, being tentative about it, being cautious about what you tell other people, like learn, practicing how to make space for what the story actually wants to be and phrasing your critique so that the person understands that it's you and it's about you. So that's what our story workshop is trying to do. This is a grand, a grand experiment, but I feel pretty good about it. I like the element of it. I mean, my, my psychology background is coming in here. It almost feels like owning that it's literary projection when you're <laughs> reviewing something. Yeah, projection is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. Yes, which is super helpful and important in a literary discussion because projection, you're the reader. You're part, like, it's interesting for an author to know what, that literary projection is that's that's important data to have but it's not the answer to a problem it's just more data yeah i think it's it's important to avoid the sort of the customer is always right reaction <laughs> in terms of writing a story the reader doesn't have to be right no i mean go to any book club and you see the kinds of discussions that happen there it's like that's part of the benefit of literature is that different people can project differently on a text. Oh yeah, and everybody has different feelings about different styles of writing and different. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of my most recent book club, and you know, people who are like, "Oh, I felt this was really overwritten." Everyone was else. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> it's just funny. It's so much. I mean, both are valid. Like, it's just it's about where they are right now, right? Like, as long as there's, as long as we don't have to be right, as long as we keep that curiosity, then it just becomes so much more interesting. And I do like that this is very, that the stakes are important because your inner critic is, is listening. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, do I have a very important job or do I have sort of a, a, like a clerical job? Right. Yeah. Am I running this show or do I have a role to, to play? Like you can, tr- you can start like in the way that you think about forming your sentences in giving feedback you can train yourself to then look at your own work with a lot more equanimity. <laughs> yeah. So as, as we're circling back to your book, are you doing all of this process kind of in your own world before having anyone else read it? Or is there, are there readers involved at this stage? Um, I have, yes, I have. I had a reader at a very early stage who I trusted a lot 
um, in part because she's not actually a big reader herself. <laughs> so she, so I, um, I just try, I just felt like she, she would be so gentle and just really like I, and I told her, I don't want, like, I don't, I just want to know if you feel like turning the pages. Like, I know that it's messy. I just want to know if you feel like turning the pages. Um, and it also just helped, it just helped me feel less insane. Like, it, like, you know, something this length, I, I needed to have a witness a kind witness. And I'm blessed to have a really awesome first reader who gave me all the kind of support and cheerleading and like emotional affect that I needed to finish the draft. And then there were some stages in the writing of the first draft that I, that I shared like with palms sweating and adrenaline spiking, <laughs> shared certain scenes, just read them out loud for no for no feedback, just um, to share. And that was in, I went away uh, with a few writers and and we all were working on stuff and then we'd all in the evenings share what we were working on. So it was just that. It was just to like witness, just the witnessing and then feeling the feeling that it's real. Um, so, but no actual real feedback other than good, keep going. And the third person who I trusted to read it in all of its like messy stages was my agent. Um, who's been also just so very kind and, and knows the process. I mean, her, her mother is a novelist. She works with novelists. She like, she understands the process. She has like a perspective on the process of writing something that my writer friends don't have that I feel that it was just a little bit different and very supportive. And also she just had my back and she just was like, I love it. Keep going. I love it. Keep going, which is exactly what, I, what anybody needs to hear. So that was, though, that was the extent of it in the first draft. My husband didn't read it. My friends didn't read it. Um, my, my writing colleagues didn't read it. I did. I shared nothing. And just after rewriting sort of at the first third, when I got to the second, a uh, second major part of the novel, I gave the first third of it to my husband to read for the first time, the second draft of it. So he never read the first draft, but the second more polished draft when the characters have the same names and the places have some, you know, I did share it with him. So he knows a little bit more about what the world is that I'm in most of my mornings <laughs> and why. I That's amazing. Yeah. 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 The amount of time that you kind of marinate in that world before other people know what's going on. It's just like, Oh, trust me. You'll see it later. Yeah. It's not, you know, I'm reading Mary Oliver's book of essays upstream right now. And yeah. have you, do you have it? Have you read it? I don't, but I want to read it. Oh, it's, it's so, so far. It's just so, it's just what you would expect it to be reading it. It's just so beautiful. And there is one essay where she's just like, you know, it's not ordinary work that we do. It's not ordinary. Like you, <laughs> you want an airplane pilot to work in an ordinary way, but an artist of any kind, you don't want them to be, or you want, you want this to be, um, you want them to go into that strange world, but it really feels, it is really weird to be marinating in a project and a world and trying to make something fictional real for so long without anybody else really sharing it. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's so weird. But it's worth it, I think. And it's it's the same thing when you think about like, oh, why does it take so long between novels or for right. people? Or, or I think also about musicians, like when's the next album? And it's just like, oh, my God, you can't imagine what they're doing to make this happen. They're like bending the rules of time and space, like give them a break. Yeah. 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 So what happens? So just of, I mean, I know that, you know, you haven't written 25 novels, so this may be a work in progress, but how do you see this going forward as much as you can tell? My writing? Yeah, this, this draft. <laughs> oh, this like draft? this novel. Like, yeah, this my novel. My career? Like, um, no, <laughs> I want to know where you're going to be in 25 years. No, but like, do you see 20 drafts? Do you see five? Like, how do you see oh. it unfolding? I'm smiling because when I finished the first draft, I gave it to my agent and I was like, I have no access whatsoever. I have no idea. The only person who's ever read the whole thing in full other than my agent was this really awesome, kind reader who I mentioned before, the friend. And she was just like, it's great. And I was like, well, you know, Hannah liked it. So <laughs> I sent it to my agent like, I have no idea if this is good or not. Maybe it's ready to send to publishers now. And she kindly said, in the spirit of openness and being kind to myself, I allowed myself to think 
that my first draft had been good enough to submit to publishers, which I'm really glad that I did. Otherwise, I would have like the opposite of that would have been really unkind, right? It's very childlike, but childlike is good in creation. So, so my agent Sam just was like, mm-hmm, "I love it. It's great. I'd like to see one more draft before. I'd like to see one more draft." She just said, I think she just stopped it there. Yeah. Right. And then I just sat to her and I was like, okay, one more draft. So I'm just like on task, one more draft. And then I can show it to Sam. And again, in the spirit of openness, I don't know. I have no idea how many drafts this is going to take. I know that there are things that I'm writing in this, in, even in this draft where I'm refining more that I'm going to have to refine a a third time. Mm -hmm. I know that. But I don't know that I'm going to ask myself to print it all out and rewrite it from scratch the third time. I don't know for sure that I'm going to have to do that. And I and the revision, now that it's in Scrivener, it does make it a lot, a lot more simple to get an overview and to see and to like read along and be like, oh, okay, this this is a dropped stitch. I need to connect it here. I need to connect it here. This time is a little bit off. I need to connect it here. I can do that. It's more available to me in the Scrivener format. So I have a feeling that I won't be rewriting it all from scratch. But if scenes need to be re-envisioned, if a scene is too shallow to be worth being there when I read this draft over again, the second draft, I will I will I always write I always write my new newly imagined work on paper first and then transcribe it. So it'll probably be a combo. That's great. I'm always because it's it does feel like, you know, driving at night with headlights. And it's like, I can only see as far as I can see. Totally. But then you also have to have like, some kind of a, even if it's imaginary or moves around a lot, a, like a, an endpoint when you're driving, like you want to get to the house. <laughs> right. You don't want to be like, I'm just driving forever. I don't know. I I'm mean, I might like, be going uh, to the that's store. Sort of, that's unsatisfying. That's unsatisfying. Yeah. So I have set myself a January deadline for the second draft, which feels like I have to tell you, it feels ridiculous. Like it feels impossible. When I sit down and I focus on that, like the two meters ahead of me that are illuminated by the headlights, it feels like a drop in the bucket. Like it just feels like I'll, I'm never going to get there. By January, what did I set up for myself? But I didn't like, I set up that January date doing the math of the word count and the page count and the amount, like I, it wasn't arbitrary. Doing the like a little bit does get you there. You you move a couple feet every day and you do cover some ground. So, mathematically speaking, a January deadline should work for my new draft if I keep working at this pace. The feeling is completely the feel. It feels nuts to even say it because I'm so in the scene that I'm in. You know, it just feels like it's impossible. But logically, it should be possible. Yeah, <laughs> the math says math is always. I right. know math. <laughs> Math knows. Yeah. Well, I love that there's math involved because I would never have thought that there would be math in revision. So that I, I find math very reassuring as well. So it's there. It's black and white. Sometimes it helps to have a little black and white in the midst of a very, you know, free flowing process. Agreed. It does for me anyway. So I'm gonna put links for everybody so they can find Tell us the name of the revision course so they know. The course is called the Story Workshop. And, the Story Workshop. Um, the Story Workshop. And actually, the, the enrollment, you can enroll right now. You can enroll all winter. We sort of get like really told people about it before the holiday craziness set in so people could start planning for their new year. So we do have about a third of the spots are gone already. And we, but we just kept it open. So if anybody wants to register now, they totally can, and they can, they can save themselves a spot. It doesn't start until February, but we're open and you can grab your spot now if you want, and you can find it on storiesofstateofmind.com. Love it. We'll put a link to it. Yeah. Because you have the story course that people can do themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the story intensive, which is the one that I did, which is the story course, but with guidance and support and a community. Mm-hmm. And so now we have the story workshop. Yeah. yeah it'd be great. I love it. <laughs> so I, I mm. feel like we've got like almost like a radio drama in installments of your novel. It's so exciting <laughs> to get this stage. <laughs> and uh, Thank you for asking the question. Thank you for caring about the details of this process. It's such a treat to be able, like, I really don't talk about this much. So it's, 
I feel a little bit like I'm just a little bit indulgent. <laughs> I just like, but thank you so much for being interested in these details. It's really a treat for me to talk about it. Oh my Lord. No, I, I, there are so many of us who are like, I don't even know how to do it. Like, is it rock climbing? Is it swimming? <laughs> is it, is it cave jumping? Like, you know, I don't know it, how to it's do just, it. I don't know how to do it either. I mean, so many times in this process, I just like would look up and be like, am I doing th- how do you do this? And then asking a few questions, like asking a few colleagues, like, how do you do it? And then just checking in and be like, yeah, no, that that's how it feels. Like it takes a really long time and you never know if you're doing it right. That is how it feels. So enjoy yourself. Yeah. So just get comfortable with it. Yeah. So I can't wait to hear where this leads. And uh, I hope that everybody listening, I know I do, feels inspired to not keep writing first drafts and then abandoning them because the next stage feels so terrifying. Oh, no, it's really, really fun. It's where really good work can, it's where you really get to look at what your story wants to tell you about itself, which is just like, I mean, anybody, if you have curiosity about your own work, it's not you. It's something that's you, but not you. It's like your story's so much smarter than you are. So go ask it questions about itself. Go ask it what it wants to say. I love it. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much. This was great. Thanks again to Muse Monthly for sponsoring the show. Remember, if you use the code SECRET00 with SECRET all caps, you can get 10% off your subscription at musemonthly.com. Thank you for listening to the Secret Library Podcast. The show is produced by me, Caroline Donahue, and Frederick Barry McWilliams Jr., my tireless audio engineer. To get show notes for this episode and all other episodes, please visit secretlibrarypodcast.com. To get updates, literary love, and notification when new episodes are posted, sign up there for Footnotes, my newsletter. And to learn about life coaching with me to work on building your writing life, visit carolinedonahue.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Gold stars to everybody who leaves a rating and review on iTunes. We're so grateful. Until next time, happy reading.